0: Welcome to the Beautiful Project podcast, a space for women to share the extraordinary truths they know about their bodies and their ambitions and all of the parts they believe to be too big in a world that would prefer they shrink. These women are the change makers. If I can do anything, I want to be able to inspire people to just be their best. They are a voice of kindness. What I know
1: is that You can give yourself love right now, and that you're deserving of that love right now.
0: They are a creative force unlike any other, helping all of us to see that the path to freedom can be found together. Now, it's not only just a movement, it's really become this collective. These are the voices in our chorus of courage. It doesn't matter how many doors close in your face, you just go back and you open them again.
1: Go
0: make something that you love making. And just, you know, just go ahead and do it. So let's listen in as they sing. Welcome back to the Beautiful Project podcast for another episode of Season 3, The Mamas and the Makers. This is a season dedicated entirely to celebrating the way that women show up in the world as a creative force. In this season, we will showcase the work of women who know what it means to take up space by making something new. And today's guest definitely knows something about that because today we get to welcome Sarah Dean to the microphone. Sarah's a creator and the host of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast, the top-rated podcast with over 2 million downloads. I said 2 million. If I break 10,000, I'm having a legit parade. So 2 million is amazing. Sarah's biggest passion is helping women own their space. After enduring her own identity crisis following the birth of her son, Sarah took her background in psychology and health and wellness and rebuilt her identity one step at a time. Sarah motivates and inspires women to stop shrinking and start shining. She's on a mission to inspire women, and moms in particular, to live bigger, bolder, bravery every damn day, which I love. She serves women through her podcast, her Thriving Momentum Mamas membership community, her Tenacious Mamas business and leadership mastermind, and her annual event, the Shameless MomCon. When she's not supporting shameless moms, you'll find Sarah with her husband, seven-year-old son, building Legos and pretending to understand Pokemon, which if you can fill me in, that's amazing. Welcome to the microphone, Sarah. Thanks for saying yes.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Good. So let's just um, jump into that first question, uh, the one about whether or not there's a particular creator that you idolize or aspire to model or somebody who's making something in the world that you go, That's amazing. And why does it light you up that way?
1: This is such a hard question, because I want to name like 30 people. (laughs) I'm going to go with one. And this is someone who um, really impacted my identity crisis when I became a mom, um, and went through just a really challenging period of trying to figure out who am I now that I'm not going back to the person I used to be mm-hmm. apparently um and so Erin Brown is her name, and she is a she comes she's a background in fitness as do I so we both were t- personal trainers and she's like personal trainer uh gone feminist activist and oh, awesome. she um, cre- so as a creator she's a writer she is brilliant she's a poet she um she creates content on Instagram and Instagram Stories every day. So she writes very regularly. She has, I think, three if not four books.
0: Wow. But um,
1: she also is a creator in on Instagram Stories, which I feel like sounds really cheesy to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she creates amazing content on a regular basis on Instagram that I just like around big topics around consent and boundaries and um, bodies and just so many things. And her perspective always helps me stretch and grow my perspective. So Mm. um, I think that's what lights me up is that when I listen to her talk, I'm always, I always walk away with like, oh yeah, she's so right. And you know, I think we all get in places where we're like, I think I got this certain subject down or whatever. And then someone Mm. gives us a little piece of information and we're like, oh wait, they're right. Like I need to grow in that direction or you know, see that from a a new different angle. So
0: absolutely, you know, um, you said the Instagram stories part sounds silly, but I think that if we can find people like that, particularly in the sphere of social media, um, I don't know about you, but I'm like all in because it can, it can as a tool lead us either direction. So when we land on somebody who's doing something really powerful um, and they're able to condense it into slides that are meaningful and move you like. I think that's extraordinary talent, so. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's
1: also really powerful to invite those presences. Um, is that a word, presences? <laughs> invite those <laughs> influences into your life yeah. at, at the exclusion of some of the junk. And so and that's mm. something that I became really conscientious of um, after my son was a couple of years old and I was just feeling like there was so much noise on social media that was not healthy for me to take in. Um, I became really conscientious of like, okay, if I'm only going to follow like three or four people really regularly, I want them to be high impact, high quality. Mm-hmm. And she was one that like can, may, has made the cut now for like six or more years where I'm like, she's always just doing really great stuff. And I think it's really important that we have those people to follow. And we're conscientious of like, these are the people I'm making a choice to learn from online.
0: Yeah. 100%. We have choice about that. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that, uh, that, yeah. that we really do have complete permission and control over what it is that we're putting into ourselves so awesome that yeah. she's there and we'll actually find a way to link to her too so other people can find her um so I want to know have you always considered your considered yourself as a creative do you remember maybe the first time you made something or has that been more of a journey for you to step into this place of creative power oh
1: my gosh I so did not consider myself creative for <laughs> most of my life up to this point mm-hmm. um, and it's funny my mom always has marveled at my creativity because i could make bubble letters when i was younger yeah. like to make cute signs for like posters at school or whatever yeah. and i was like mom like that's not art <laughs> she was like no it really is like you'd make a great kindergarten teacher because you can make bubble letters <laughs> so we always had this joke around like she labeled me the artist and i was like i'm so not the artist um so i have not considered myself creative and it's been interesting in the last handful of years, I learned that after much resistance, I learned through um, a good friend who does a lot of work with the Myers Briggs test mm-hmm. that she was like, "You are not an S, which is a sensor. Yep. You are actually an N, an intuitive, um, and you actually are super creative." And I was like, "I don't see it," but the more she started explaining the difference between those two to me, the more I was starting to be, I was able to recognize that I'm creative in the sense that I am always looking for different perspectives mm-hmm. to share in my own ways. Yep. Um, I'm always learning how to create content. And I didn't consider creating content for like a podcast or a blog um, to be creative because it doesn't involve like markers and watercolors right. <laughs> and pottery. And yes. I had to step back and look at what does creativity really mean and building. I'm now on my third business that I've built and successfully grown and that's actually creativity that allowed for
0: that. <laughs> it's enormous creativity. Isn't it funny how we do that? Like, we identify the thing we're not, right? So I'm, yeah. we go, oh, I couldn't possibly be this because I'm not that, right? So, for instance, for a right. while, um, when I just first started writing and publishing things on the website, I would often say, but I'm not a writer. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> because I haven't published was what it was in my head, right? So, Yes. And so in your story, I hear that it's the there is um, an artistic way, a particular artistic way to be creative. And that's kind of the only definition of that word. So I love that you've expanded that definition, because I think more women um, would maybe be able to step into their creative power if they stop telling themselves what they're not like, right. I'm, you know, well, I'm not creative because I don't do X, X, and X. And I think women are an extraordinary, almost inherently creative force. So, and that's great that you have people in your life to go, hold up the mirror and go, no, actually, you know, uh, the definition can move on that. That's great. Right.
1: right. And I think it really gives us a lot of power, too. I think it's funny because I think I bet a lot of women or Men, men and women podcasters would say, "Like, oh, I'm, I'm not a speaker. I just
0: have a podcast." Yeah. Well, <laughs> what do you <laughs> think that a is? Microphone yeah. for Like
1: hours a week. Actually, as it turns out, you are a speaker.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and you so need think, to yeah, be. I think it's
1: really. I think it really, like you said, it gives us power to expand our definitions yeah. and our own
0: self-perception. Yeah, which I love. Giving us power to expand that definition is always important. Um, you mentioned that what you've done is successfully um, create and scale three businesses. So this is the part in our conversation where I just want to invite you to, to share the story. So I shared the opening um, that you've got this this movement really, which is how I found you. I found you years ago. Somebody um, had connected me to your podcast and it was uh, particularly, uh, it, it was an episode on body image. Um, that really when I tell the story about how the Beautiful Project started, it was one of a handful of influences to me to start to consider to understand my own body differently. So from this perspective, from my perspective, it's obvious to me that you've created this movement now. But I want to give you a stage and a chance to kind of just share the story, however you see it, from its beginning to the present.
1: Sure. So I... So I'm trying to think of, let's see, way back when in uh, seven. So my son is seven years old. Mm-hmm. A couple of years before that, we started trying to get pregnant. Um, at that point, I was a personal trainer. I owned a fitness studio that was for women. Um, we had uh, for mostly women and a few great men, I always say, <laughs> um, that was fitness studio for women, and I did a lot of transformation programs. I'd been in the fitness industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. I had been in the fitness industry with um, a really successful business, that, and I was coached by two men um, and in mastermind groups with other men who were really successful in the fitness industry. And when my son was born, so I, had, I was in the process of growing and scaling that business, um, going through all sorts of infertility stuff that went on for a few years. Mm -hmm. And one of the gifts of infertility was um, that didn't feel like a gift at the time, but it did give me all this time to grow my business to a certain point and really prepare myself to be able to be as present as a mom as I wanted to be. And so as I was scaling that fitness business, I brought in other trainers. And by the time my son was born, um, three years later, I had a gym that was pretty much self-sustaining and I could just stay and do like work admin stuff from home while I had trainers on site running everything, which was an amazing gift. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, I had also started an online fitness program um, for moms where I was selling online fitness programs specifically around postpartum weight loss. Mm -hmm. And so back to being coached by two men, (laughs) um, I had all this messaging in my gym and my online stuff that was all around like hyping up weight loss and like burn belly fat with these three simple moves and lose 10 pounds in 10 days. And like just all that stuff, because the guys I was learning from and in community with in this mastermind program, that's what they were selling. And they were all making a ton of money doing it. So I was like, okay, cool. Like I'll do that. Right. It's and an effective marketing. Up.
0: Right. It's an, I was just going to say, it's an effective marketing strategy. If it weren't, yeah. we wouldn't be saturated oh. by it. Right.
1: Exactly, and so my clients, when I started bringing new programs into my gym, and I mean, one of my one of my uh, programs was called um, Spring Fling and Fat Loss, and another one was like <laughs> 21 Day Rapid Fat Loss. <laughs> like, they were all just, I die inside when I think about them. Oh, but yeah, I'll when,
0: bet. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll bet that it's, that, it's, that part's hard. Like the on some level, the the glance backward of like. Did I really say that? Spring fling and yeah. fat loss? Anyway, it's okay. We're all yeah. on a journey, right?
1: But I mean, yeah, I was just in a different place and I didn't know what I didn't know and it was a it was also a different time. I mean, mm-hmm. the industry was just different and and there weren't you know, there wasn't a feminist take on fitness yet. And sure. so um or at least that I had been exposed to. So after my son was born, I started to have these inklings around this just feels weird to me. Like promoting these weight loss programs and being hypey about it feels, it doesn't feel right. I also like, I had a program called six week pregnancy weight loss and I was like having all sorts of struggles with my own postpartum body. Mm. And I was like, I'm embarrassed that I have a program called this because (laughs) this is not like in no world should someone try to expect to lose all their baby weight in six weeks. And who cares if they don't like this This just feels gross, and so I was just increasingly kind of disillusioned by some of my own stuff um, and I started changing messaging, but people knew me as like I'm the girl in town who has the transformation program, and mm. they were signing up for them all the time, and so I kind of built this business that was dependent on this certain model around helping women shrink their bodies and so um as I became more that just continued to feel more and more out of alignment and i also was having this identity crisis around, who am I now that I'm a mom? I spent that whole entire first year of motherhood feeling so out of place because it had taken us so long to get pregnant. And we had had to make so many big decisions and physical and financial sacrifices to make that happen. Mm -hmm. That I felt like, well, I should be super grateful. And this should be the best year of my life now that this baby's here. And it was so, so, so hard. And so um, I spent that whole first year thinking, like, pretty soon life's going to go back to normal, and as soon as that happens, everything will be fine. And by the time my son was one, I was like, you know, maybe this isn't going to go back to normal. Like, maybe I need to figure out what this new identity is all about, instead of waiting for life to, quote-unquote, go back to normal. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I really started looking at how motherhood was starting to shift me, how motherhood was starting to shift my opinions, my my uh, core values, my belief systems. And I started talking a little bit more about that while also sharing stories about motherhood just being like crazy and wild and hysterical at times. <laughs> and a couple of people told me, they were like, you should write a book or you should start a blog. And I, at this point had really walked away from my um, online blog just because I didn't have time to keep it up. Uh, and so I was like, maybe I'll go back to blogging. And then I thought, you know, if I go back to blogging, there's a lot of perfectionism in that, a lot of over-editing. For me personally, mm-hmm. I can just get behind a mic and talk. <laughs> like, yeah, sounds way easier. Yeah, um, and so that's how I started the podcast. Um, I started the Shameless Mom Academy as a place for me to talk about women in motherhood and how to take up space as a woman enduring motherhood. Um, And I really wanted it to be a conscientious conversation about taking up space instead of shrinking. Like, I wanted it to be really the opposite of what I was doing in my gym business. And after about a year and a half in that, um, a little, actually, after about a year, I started thinking, after about a year of having the podcast, I started thinking, like, I could probably build a business around this. It had just kind of been a hobby that I was enjoying. But I thought I could probably build a business around this and the impact could be so much greater Mm -hmm. and so much more in alignment with my core values than what I'm doing with the gym. And, um, so I ended up selling the gym and going full-time into the podcast and really conscientiously making a decision around, like, if I'm like, if I'm going to build a stage, do I want to build a stage in a local city Mm -hmm. around helping women shrink their bodies? Or do I want to build a stage, you know, that can be worldwide on the internet, um, that can help women take up space. And that Mm -hmm. was, such an easy and obvious answer to me mm-hmm. so that's how the podcast came to be and then once I sold the gym, I was able to start building more community around the podcast and so we have a free community and a membership community that's paid and we have a just this last year we added a mastermind community that's for bi- women in business and leadership and so it's been able to grow on multiple levels, which has been really, really
0: awesome yeah that's amazing i all of it I have so many things that I want to say, but the first question I have for you <laughs> is um Were you afraid when you let go of the gym and moved toward this? Will you talk a little bit about it? Because I don't – well, I want to say that I think at times we will feel the presence of fear and go, oh, I can't do that. And I've learned that fear for me generally now is a compass in the right direction. Like – Oh, am I afraid of that? I have to go that way. And so I know that in transition, there is an enormous amount of fear. So I just want you to give voice to that for other people who are holding back from creating something because they're afraid to do it.
1: Yeah. So I will say I was really nervous. Um, I met with two different brokers to help me sell the business. And both of them, I said, like, this isn't something I'm looking at doing right now. I'm just thinking, like, sometime down the road. And in my mind, that was, like, in three to five years, like, enough of a t- distance where I was, like, maybe it'll never happen because that seems – it seems too big and scary to commit to right now. But the second broker I met with, she – when we started talking about numbers, um, I was – I started to get a sense of, like, I could do this now and fund this new project, mm. the, the podcast, Um and the podcast could be my whole thing in three to five years rather than waiting three to five years to sell and having to go through a big transition then. And so it became more and more clear to me that it was the right thing to do. And I definitely she, – so she was so gentle about the whole thing. She's like, let's just make a listing, put it up. She's like, these things take months. Let's just make a listing. We'll put it up on the market. Probably nothing will happen. We did it right before the holidays too. She's like, nothing's even going to happen, but let's just put it up there and you can just sit with it for a while. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And I was so scared. I was like, if someone puts in an offer right away, like I can't take it because I'm just not ready. Well, it ended up taking forever. So we put the (laughs) listing up, but that actually, like that one step gave me the space to really start to think through, like, is this what I really want? Mm -hmm. And what happened in the 18 months, so she told me this process would probably take three to six months and it took 18 months. Oh, wow. For a variety of reasons. But what ended up happening during that process is the universe just kept screaming in my face like, this needs to happen. Hmm. And so I, you know, at one point we had like, there was a Monday night where a bunch of my trainers called in sick for the same day, the next, for the next day. And like, and and a member was upset about something and I was having to do stuff for the podcast that night. And I was like, and I was making dinner and it was like, all these things came to a head on a Monday night. I was standing in the middle of my kitchen like, what am I doing? And I was so frustrated in that moment and angry that I was having to manage so many things and annoyed that this process was taking so long. And then I was like, oh, wait, this is the universe telling me I have to make this happen. I have to get out of this gym yeah. because I can't stay in this. And my husband at that point had been like, you know, the, the gym provides a lot of financial stability. Walking away from that is a big risk. Maybe we should wait a little longer. So he had kind of been encouraging me like, If this deal doesn't go through, we were in the middle of a deal that was kind of falling apart at the time. He's like, if it doesn't go through, let's just put this on hold for a year. And I just, in that moment, I was like, there's no way that I can go through another year of this. Mm -hmm. I know that I am so, and this goes back to me like embracing being creative, that I can't stay in something that's not in alignment with my core values and that I cannot enjoy and that I can't feel like is the right thing for me for any length of time. Mm -hmm. So I have to be in that place where I feel like I can be creative and where I can feel like my impact is in alignment with my core values. And so it over time became a no brainer, but it definitely took a minute and it took leaning into a lot of fear. And it took looking back at myself and my history and recognizing that every time I step up to do something, I figure out how to do it. And I Mm. have always done that. And I'm resourceful and I'm resilient, even though I'm constantly scared. And I don't consider myself a risk taker at all, so I've been very strategic about take the risks that I've taken in build, uh, building businesses. But I had to really look at, you know, a, how am I going to lean into the fear, and how am I going to do it scared, and still mm-hmm. like sleep through the night through this eighteen month process. Um, and it was a lot of self talk around reminding myself, you've done other hard things, you can do this too, mm-hmm. and that's and 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 now I like continuing to do things in that fashion and (laughs) signing up for things that still feel hard and scary and big and, and reminding myself again, you've done harder things and you will be just fine.
0: Yeah. That, um, the building evidence to support the case, right? Like, and paying attention to the evidence in that direction, because we do get to choose again where we put our focus. And so if I can put my focus on looking for the evidence that I am capable of this, then I suddenly become more capable, right? It's a fascinating process. I think, um, Do you still have days where you're like, what the hell am I doing? Or are those gone? like
1: pretty much every day.
0: Oh, good. Okay. I mean,
1: so I don't have, um, it's interesting because there's there's like two pieces to that question. Mm -hmm. I know I'm really clear on what I'm doing. I'm not always clear on how I'm going to do it long term. Mm -hmm. So... I am clear on like, this is the message. These are the things I'm going to talk about. I'm going to keep talking about these. I want to talk about this for a really long time. This is what I'm fired up about, which does evolve over time, but it's not like going away. It's mm-hmm. not like with the gym where I got to a point where I was like, oh my God, if I have to talk about that like that one more time, <laughs> like, and so I don't have those moments, but I have moments where I look at like, am I building something that? I'm going to love for a really long time. And Mm -hmm. that's been something I've been really conscientious of is like, I don't want to build a model that I can't grow with. Um, I don't want to build a model that's not sustainable. I don't want to build a model that burns me out. I really want to be in this space for a long time and I really want to evolve in this space. And so I am just constantly kind of checking my energy and checking to make sure like, is this still feeling good? Um, and so I make no commitments in terms of like, you know, I mean, obviously if someone signs up to do something, a program with me for the next 12 months, like I'm going to be here for the next 12 months, right but I'm not going to say like, this is what I'm doing for the next 10 years. Um, and I've done enough now to see, I've done enough iterations of different businesses to see that everything has a lifespan and that's as it should be. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm constantly a little bit like what are we doing? Where are we going? And at the same time, have like a firm foundation in terms of like the philosophy, the values behind where we're going. Absolutely. Knowing that Like the vehicle might change over time.
0: I think that um, is another way of sort of the taking up space component, right? Allowing for it yeah. to allow, uh, creating a container in which the walls are flexible. Um, yeah, so that you can expand and contract inside of that too. You know, I think, I think it's so easy at times to go, well, I've chosen here and this is what that looks like and head down, we're just going to do that. And kind of being open to that movement or um, being agile in that space, I think is another way to take up space. I am curious. So you you talked about the, I mean, it sounds like a pretty substantial, um, conversion is the only words coming to me, which sounds really religious, which is not really what I mean. But there had to be a pretty substantial deconstruction of one way of thinking to move into this other way of thinking, particularly about you built an entire life around um, shrinking women, right? You talked about that. and then yeah. uh, and you talked a little bit about how it was a reflection of your own journey post um, having your child, right? But were there other yeah. were there other people or places or things at play that helped you deconstruct that way of seeing the world? where it is our, you know, one way is an invitation to shrink, the other is the way to take up space. So were there people involved in that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good question. So as part of my postpartum journey, um, one of the things, so a couple things happened during that time that were just like smacks in the face kind of. Um, One of the things that happened right after I got pregnant is (laughs) one of my male business coaches, who Mm -hmm. was not married, did not have children, he was like, "This is great that you're pregnant. Now you can do before and after pictures of your postpartum recovery. So, like, you know, a picture when you are, you know, oh. nine months pregnant, and then you'll have a picture of you like in a bikini six weeks later." And I was like, oh. "In like, have you met me? In no, I, I, had, I've never worn a bikini in my life, and I'm sure as hell I'm not going to get on the internet and be in a bikini six weeks after I give birth." Like. Mm-hmm. So – and this was – he was like, this is the picture that will make you millions of dollars. It's <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> I would rather die. Oh, right. <laughs> and so yeah. there was, like, that moment there that was like, this is the thing you should do. You can make so much money on it. This is the thing that will sell. And me just, like, climbing out of my skin when he said it, mm-hmm. being like, there's no way in hell I will ever do that. Um, and then – so, so then my son after my son was born and I was in my own postpartum journey and I was doing a lot of assessments on women at the gym and I would measure them and every time I would be doing assessments and measure measurements, the comments that would come out of women's mouths were things like, you know, I'd go to measure around their belly and they'd be like, oh, this is my problem area, I really need to work on this or what can you, they would like hold up, shake their underarms and be like, what, you know, can we work on this in the program? Are we going to focus on this area? Mm. Um or well, you know, will the nutrition program focus on cellulite? Women had so many very specific um pain points, mm-hmm. and pain points that were things when they talked about them, they were like, "This is my problem area this is where this is um where i'm the weakest this is basically, it was things that they had been letting take up so much mental space in many cases for decades. Mm. And then they would come in and talk about food and they'd be like, "Well, I was really bad today, but I was really good yesterday and blah blah blah." And it was just like all these frameworks and as I started hearing this in my own uh, with a diff- through a different lens now that I was a mom, really recognizing that like these are the conversations that we have in our heads that take up more space than any other conversation for most of our lives for mm-hmm. so many women. Yep. And I mean, if you look at and then I started following more and more people who had messaging around um diet culture without labeling it as such, but things like statistics around like, you know, the average woman has been on X amount of diets over X amount of years Mm -hmm. and the average diet the average woman starts her first diet at age nine and like stuff like that where I just really started to see more and more women as leaders in the fitness space and the body image space and shifting my perspective. And at the same time I saw all these guys building businesses the same way, who were posting things on social media that were like, um, what was there was one in particular about cupcakes. Oh, shoot, I'm not going to remember it. <laughs> but um, this, guy, this guy posted something about cupcakes and, like, being, you know, you have to be weaker than, or you have to be, like, be stronger than the cupcake and, you know, it's all about willpower and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. um, strong, or what did he say? I can't remember. Anyway, the whole thing was basically like shaming you if you were to choose to have a cupcake. And I was like, <laughs> this is so disgusting. Uh-huh. And this is men who are sell who are targeting audiences of women, predominantly moms in the fitness space. And I was like, this is just so gross. And so that kind of accumulation of those kinds of things in conjunction with me seeking out people who were having higher level conversations. And Aaron Brown was definitely one of those people. Um, I started following probably three or four people that were just talking about this in a totally different way, talking about body positivity, talking about like, who are these dudes who are running the fitness industry who are shaming us over everything. Mm -hmm. And for us to lead with weight loss goals as our primary goal in life for most of our lives, like how destructive is that? Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And so it was kind of a combination or a culmination of all of those things where I started to internalize that in my own personal recovery from postpartum. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where that shift happened.
0: Um, in the year that you spent still at the gym, but having this deconstruction internally about, Mm -hmm. you know, about seeing, because I, so what was true for me about seeing diet culture is that once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And I saw it everywhere. Totally. Right. And like, it's an epiphany. It's like the scales fall off your eyes and you're like, holy shit, this is literally my entire way of thinking. So I had the luxury of throwing out my scale. You know, uh, really diving headlong into this other way of living and being. It sounds like your deconstruction was happening on some level while you were still in the middle of that industry.
1: Oh, totally. How totally. painful was that? Like yeah, that so would be so
0: painful. I think.
1: It, so it was, and part of it, I mean, so it was hard,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: also I really tried to use, I leveraged like my new perspective in big mm-hmm. ways, and so you know, like we had been doing these transformation programs for years, where you had to do mandatory check-ins, and I made, I was like. You don't have to do mandatory check-ins anymore. Oh. And you don't have to do an assessment. You don't have to get measured. That's all optional. And I'm not going to give you a meal plan. that. So, like, everyone wanted things so formulaic because this is what we've been trained. Right. So people were like, I want the meal plan with, like, the calorie counting and, like, the planner and the recipes and the exact, you know, the exact formula to lose weight. And I was like, well, I'm not going to give that to you anymore. I'm going to just have you, like, eat in a way that feels good. And they, everyone was just like, <laughs> What? <laughs> Like, can we get the calorie counter diet back in here? So I was prepared to give them all this freedom, and they they couldn't. I mean, yeah, and not anyone's fault, but because of diet culture, they couldn't handle it. They didn't know there was the, the the transformations in terms of what happened just changed really dramatically, and. People were frustrated. People were like, no, I want the calorie counter formula, and I want this, and I want that, and, like, you have to make mandatory weigh-ins first thing every Monday. Like, if you don't do that, I'm not going to have success. So that was a challenge for me, and me giving people more choice in that wasn't super well-received, or if it was well-received in the moment where they were like, cool, no weigh-ins. At the end of the program, people were like, oh, well, I didn't really lose any weight because we didn't have weigh-ins. So it was – Like, it was way too much to deconstruct for everyone else all at once. Um, And so I started doing that, but it was like, it was quickly very clear that this wasn't just like, I'm going to just start a new kind of a program and people are going to be like, oh, cool. That's (laughs) awesome. No, it was like, oh my God, I have to retrain everyone's brain from (laughs) all, you know, from 30 to 40 years of conditioning.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Which I'm sure we can do in a six week program. I mean, (laughs) totally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As I February 23rd, we'll be all done. <laughs> you will be healed. Oh, gosh. I just have a lot of, um, I, I have a lot of, I don't have the right word. I was going to say love or, uh, you know, I talk often about navigating the world in the fat body. I think about what it would have been like for me to find a gym owner or trainer who could have invited a different Um, understanding of my body uh, in all those years in the gym. I have, I, to this day, have a very, um, my relationship with the gym is quite complicated (laughs) because it's so deeply triggering everywhere I look, you know, but I also love to move my body. So I just, uh, I get that the people who had followed you to that point were not ready for that kind of deconstruction, but I, as a woman living in a fat body, am so deeply grateful that you were willing to release the things that you needed to, um, at the very least, to start to carve out a different or offer or invite women on another path. Um, I think that's super powerful and important. Yeah.
1: And and I'll say there was other people, there was another woman locally who was doing some really great things and building the foundation that I wished that I could rebuild. Hmm. And I was like, for me to unbuild and rebuild it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to be actually financially risky because I'm probably going to have a lot of turnover and membership if I do that. Yeah. And this one was actually building something really great. And I was like, I'm just going to sell. And then I can like, you know, if I know people like, so for example, in your situation, I would have been like, Oh, you should go check out Molly. Right. Molly's programs are amazing. And I think you would be a great fit over there. Right. So I could then, you know, if people, if I felt like someone would be a better fit somewhere else, I felt like I could help people make that decision. Um. But yeah, I didn't feel I didn't feel confident that I could rebuild something that I felt good about in like a, in a way that wouldn't compromise the integrity of the business in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't think I ultimately wanted to stay in there. So I was like, you know, if I knew I had to be here for five to ten more years, that would be one thing. But if I'm going to try to go through this big transformation and rebrand this whole business and my whole philosophy mm-hmm. um, only to still end up with, like, I don't really know if I want to do this. That just didn't seem viable.
0: Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious too as we talk about taking up space. Do you see do you see a connection? So one of one of the let me start with the backstory. One of the things that I try to do with the project is we always ground back to the body, but ultimately I want women to understand that the mandate to shrink our body does not stop with our bodies, right? It it just spreads everywhere to our voice and to our ambitions and yeah. our dreams. But I also think that it – I don't think that there's an area of ourselves that it doesn't touch. However, the same is true with the invitation to take up space. So once we start to step into that, it impacts everything from our bodies to our ambition to our dreams. So I'm curious if you see a connection between this – sort of this invitation for women to step into their creative power and the concept of taking up space uh, maybe in a new way.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I see – So many opportunities for women to use their voices in different ways Mm -hmm. and use their creativity in different ways and really embrace who they are and what they've endured as a in a position of power. Um and I think that that's not on the radar of a lot of women. Mm -hmm. Um and my hope is that like through the work that you're doing, through the work that I'm doing, we can get that on the radar of more women. So to your point around women shrinking in so many different capacities and how it does touch every area of life. I absolutely agree. And one of the things that I really help my women, especially in my membership community and in my leadership mastermind, we talk a ton about how are you showing up as the leader of your life? How are you using your voice? How are you not letting other people dismiss you and not being dismissive of yourself? And so like you said, a lot of this, start with diet culture, but it permeates everything. And it permeates how we speak up in meetings. It permeates how we write an email. When, you know, when you send out an email to someone, you say, hey, I'm just circling back with a quick question. That's shrinking right there. That's (laughs) saying like, I just want to borrow a second of your time because I'm not worth more. Right. Um, When you're in a board meeting and you raise your hand and say, oh, sorry, I just have a quick question. And you like apologize for having a question before you even ask it. That's shrinking. And so I think what I'm really, really um, hoping hoping to embolden women to do is look at all the ways that shrinking, trying to shrink their physical bodies has also kept them really small in their thinking and how they play the game, whatever mm-hmm. that game is. And so it might be how you show up at work. It might be in your marriage. It might be in your friendships. It might be in your relationship with your in-laws or your sister-in-law or your Uncle Tom. It might be in how you parent. I've seen it happen in parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it can... I think you need to start looking at at it from so many different angles. And I don't think that you need to do it all at once, but I think that you do need to start being aware. And I think that being in community with other people doing that, being in Facebook groups of people who are doing that um, and showing up in powerful ways and modeling that is so important uh, because then you can see what is possible. Then you start to see, oh, I didn't even realize that I was, you know, saying sorry every time I walk through it, every time someone mm-hmm. holds a door for me instead of saying thank you. I didn't right. see that I was, you know, sitting back in meetings and not speaking up at all because I thought all the men in the room had more valuable things to contribute. <laughs> so I think that really recognizing uh, or being in spaces where you can start to recognize that and see other women who are, you know, one step ahead of you doing things in a different way can be so inspirational and aspirational. Yep. And then there becomes this major ripple effect, which is so, so
0: cool. Yeah. I talk often about how courage is contagious. And it is. Yes. It just is. It's exactly what you're describing. Because we are saturated by the shrinking message, so it's really difficult sometimes to even see it like you've shared. All of those examples right. are perfect examples. I And I have to stop myself sometimes with, like, women in the store who walk, I don't know, maybe in front of me and apologize for walking in front of me. Yes.
1: I feel oh so like, if someone bumps you, yes. like, in a park or in a pub, on a street, and they're like, oh, sorry, 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 and you're like, you're we're both on a public street, <laughs> right. like, you can just say excuse me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense, and it's not – Um, it's it's so obvious because it's so not conscious. It's obvious to me that it's yeah. it's programming that's at this pretty deep level, and until you yeah. see it demonstrated for you consistently, repeatedly – then you don't even – then you'll start to see it in yourself and be able to shift. But, man, you've got to be surrounded by um, other women who are doing something different than that.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And I'll say that I – even yesterday I was leading a workshop, an online workshop with 60 women, and I had a tech glitch, and I was like, oh, sorry, guys. And then I was like, hold on, not sorry. I haven't done anything wrong here. I haven't hurt anyone. I haven't – like. I was like, not sorry. Instead, thank you for your patience while we figure this out. So I'm someone who's highly aware of shrinking behavior, and I, yet I still mm-hmm. find myself in those moments of discomfort or moments of feeling like I'm holding someone else up or moments that I feel like I'm inconveniencing someone, immediately going to that place of, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, so sorry, so sorry. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, and this is – I'm probably a solid four to five years into, like, not apologizing. And yep. I still catch myself doing it.
0: Oh, my gosh. I, I... – I hear you on that, yes. I And I, when I catch it, I have to – I even have to, like, I'll catch it and then I'll start to shrink in relationship to having caught it. I, you know, like this meta level of, like, I'm shrinking in response to the shrinking. Like, everybody stop. I'm so sorry for being sorry. Yes. Make it stop. Hamster wheel. But I do think there's hope and a way out for all of us, you know. I And I, I think you're completely on to the way that happens and it's to be surrounded – It's to be surrounded by women who are demonstrating a different way. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I want to know, I'm sure that the answer is yes here, but I'm curious. So has the product of your work, so what you've worked to create here, has it changed you? I think that often we see creativity as this like, well, people can assume that creativity is this one directional thing. Like I make it, it comes out of me. Um, and it impacts the world, but my experience is that it's very circular. Uh, when I, right. When I hear that inspiration, I, I act on it, I put it out in the world and then somehow the thing I've made like makes me different. And so I'm just, I'm curious if that's happened for you. And if so, like, how do you see that in your own life?
1: So, yeah, that absolutely happened. And I would say that started at the gym. That started with me seeing the impact that I was having on women there in different capacities and seeing how they could change, how they, my clients there changed their lives Um, in the context of weight loss and transformation and feeling good about themselves and feeling strong. And I mean, one of my favorite things was having women in their fifties come in to boot camp classes at 6am and do pushups on their toes for the the first time in their lives. Like women who'd never been in a fitness class, women who've never done a pushup do their first 5k or do pushups and things like that just like constantly blew me away. Mm -hmm. And the, sense of pride that I had in being a part of that was tremendous and so um you know it, when that to the extent that transformation was really powerful with pe- for people mm-hmm. that felt so so good and that totally changed my identity in terms of me feeling like I can be a cheerleader for someone and give someone tools and they can change their entire lives around that yeah so that you know with that is kind of an aside from the conversation around shrinking because in many cases, what ended up happening is this was happening in the context of me helping women shrink their bodies, but it also happened in a lot of other contexts where women were doing things they never thought they were strong enough or more or powerful enough to do. Right. And that completely shifted how, what, where, how I saw my own power that also qualified me to then take another step. And I think this is what happens in so strongly in motherhood is that, and but we also have to acknowledge it, because if we don't acknowledge it, we don't we can't leverage it, but that we go through a lot of really hard things in motherhood, and because we've endured those things, we are qualified to do more hard things mm. and so because I was able to push myself to grow into you know a strong position of leadership at the gym, I qualified myself to then take leadership to the next level when I started the podcast right. and so and then I started getting feedback on that, which then You know, at first it was me doing a podcast in my office, and then it was like, how can I build a membership community around this and invite people into community around these conversations that I'm just having by myself (laughs) or with one interviewee? And then I got feedback on that that was really great. And so then I was able to, again, take the next step and, you know, the next courageous step, which was, okay, how can I do this in person and create a live event? So we had Shameless MomCon as our first live event um, last year, where moms were able to come fly in from all over the country to a live event. And so all of those things happen because I qualified myself in seeing the power of my own work throughout the entire process. And I think that that happens when we look at our work and our impact. It also happens when we take a really critical look at motherhood and how talented you have to be or become to manage and juggle everything that comes with motherhood yeah. and so then when you can em- embrace like oh i'm a really great multitasker i'm a really great compartmentalizer i'm a really great manager i'm a really great like all of these roles that come with motherhood that you don't even know you're signing up for then you can look at that and be like oh wait so actually that position for the ceo i'm actually totally qualified because look at this mess i've been dealing with with three toddlers for four years or whatever you know yeah so i think that we have to always look back at how we are constantly empowering ourselves um, to grow forward.
0: Yeah, and the qualify yourself. You've qualified yourself. Yeah. That's Absolutely. enormous. Everybody listening, hang on to that. You've qualified yourself. You don't have to actually get the external nod of, well, now you're ready. Because you do know. I mean, yeah. we do know. Yeah. Um right. Yeah. And okay. I
1: think that that's the, another big thing is that we wait for, in an we wait for invitations. Yeah. And like I tried to get on stages to speak in the fitness industry, I could not get an invitation, could not get anyone to answer my reply when I asked to get on their stages. Then I started the podcast, started trying to get on stages. Finally, I was like, screw it, I'm going to build my own stage, I'm going to have my own live event. <laughs> and so like, go build your own damn stage mm. and don't wait for someone else's permission or invitation, just go build the thing. And. That's going to make some people uncomfortable, and that's okay. Like, there are definitely people who were like, "Well, who does she think she is over here with her cute little podcast?" And I was like, "Oh, well, let me show you. Let me show you after two million downloads about my cute little podcast." Oh,
0: so. I love that. I <laughs> I actually can't even speak in re- in reply to that because I love that so much. I'm definitely that's the pulled quote for this one, Sarah. I'm going to tell you right now that was <laughs> that's exceptional. I'm um, also curious about what's next. So what's on the horizon for you, Shameless Mom? What are you thinking about making next? So
1: next up we have, so Shameless MomCon 2020 is at the end of March. So we're getting, like, full blown into planning mode for that, which I'm really excited about. Um, And bringing to life a live event has just been, like, something I didn't think I wanted to do, and then it was such a magical experience when I did it. So that's been really fun and exciting to kind of own a new part of my identity in that way. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of most immediately what's next. Um, Beyond that, I have um, started researching TED Talks and writing books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we'll see. I mean, I hesitate to say these things out loud because then it feels like this layer of accountability where you're like, (laughs) crap, now I have to do it. But yeah, I actually was doing a workshop yesterday with a bunch of my members and a handful of other women, and I was like, "Do I tell them the TED Talk thing Because I- if I tell them I've been researching it, they're going to ask me about it, and then mm-hmm. I'm going to have to like really research it." So yeah, that's but, yeah, that's kind of that's what's what's that's what I'm exploring right now.
0: I love that it's new ways to use your voice. I think that's awesome.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So and recognizing that. Oh, that you're like I'm qualified for those things. Yes. Just like you are. Like if you have a podcast and you've recorded your voice many times for many people. Yes. That does actually qualify you to do a TED Talk. Who knew?
0: <laughs> it absolutely does. I, you know I um gave one in March and what helped uh, a ton with that is to look around at the people who were also giving talks and realize that we all we all brought our genius, like our ordinary truth to the stage and there's yeah. genius in that, you know. I think particularly in the world of public speaking, well, almost anywhere, we always create a hierarchy, right? And we always look at other people and go, well, obviously, I mean, she's got a book and so she should have a voice. And I, I don't think this is any different, you know, <laughs> right? The, I mean, the TED stage, um, there are plenty of people who've, got, who've taken the TED stage and had an absolute meltdown and not been able to finish. There are plenty of people who've used the TED stage to – um, leverage a, a ton of success moving forward and then there's tons of people in between the point is they all showed up to the stage right and yeah and I think it's wonderful that you're even putting it out there and saying we'll consider that we'll see what happens that's wonderful right right um, last thing I want to uh, I want to invite you to share with the audience um, and the audience in particular here is women they very likely have something in them that they want to make or create or go be or do. I want to know what you want to tell them about, and you may have already brought parts of that along with you, but just sort of this final message to them about themselves maybe, about the work that's in front of them, um, about who they are in the world, who they're called to be, anything you want to share with the audience. uh, This is the opportunity to kind of invite them to some different space.
1: Yeah. So I would really encourage you to go make something that you love making that feels really good in the process and feels really good after. And make it because it feels good for you, not necessarily because it, of the benefit it will have for other people, but then trust that it will benefit other people. Um, and I've been an entrepreneur for long enough to know that there's a market for everything. And also, I think that it's fine to create without any intention of ever marketing or selling or, mm. you know, making a business around it. And so I think it's important when you're looking at creating things that you're doing it for reasons that feel really good and are that are affirming and validating. Um, and will give you the space to tap into your truest gifts and strengths and talents. And then if over time it feels like you want to make that profitable, then you can consider that. Um, but I think that, I think there's such a push to sometimes for us to monetize things. Mm -hmm. And I think that can take away from some of the magic. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like when I decided to build the podcast, I was like, I'm just going to get on here and talk about what I want to talk about for a year. And then if I decide I want to make money on it, and I will say that's like an extremely privileged standpoint. Like I had a business that could, the gym could support me while I did that. But I think there's a lot of ways you can do that in ways that don't take a lot of financial resources. Um, so you know, if you've like really wanted to start knitting, like start knitting, create a knitting circle of just girlfriends and or women in your community who wanna be a part of that, not necessarily something where you need to build a business around it. And then if over time you're like, this is amazing and I wanna be like the head knitter of town, then <laughs> go be the head knitter of town and have your knitting courses online and your knitting retreats and what have you. But I think that it needs to start from a place of feeling really good and um feeling like it's you bringing your really fulfilling your own desire to tap into your own gift.
0: Mm, I love that. That's so important. We are absolutely in this space now that creativity is constantly monetized. Um, and I don't know that it's to your point. It's not that it's bad to monetize it over time. Um, but it does, if you come into it there, you, at least for me, I can start to miss the element of service and I can miss the magic yeah. of it. I just lose it. If I start to think, how will this make money first? Uh, I've never, I've never actually, um, joyfully made money at something where that was my first question. So I love that you've reminded the audience of that part to just, just create for the sake of creating. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I just want to wrap up by thanking you for your voice and your work in this world. It, uh, really seriously, when I talk about the origin of the project, um, Because you made those choices, you know the ripple effect of that. That that episode was there for me as I was walking the streets of my home hometown. I remember crying multiple times during that episode at the idea that there was another way of living, Um, and I didn't know what that would be yet. And two and a half years later, we're um, here, where it's something. It's a real thing. Uh, It's a real chorus of courage. That means so much to me. Good. Thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. Thank you so so much for having me. You bet. All right, friends, that's it for today. This episode is brought to you from the sound studios at Silver Oaks Communications, a creative media company in Moline, Illinois. It's edited and produced by Archie Kukurans and created by me, Sarah Stevens, the founder of The Beautiful Project. If you loved this episode, make sure you subscribe to the pod on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. While you're there, be sure to leave us a review so that other people will know how to find us. Thank you for being with us today and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength.